Yes, it's the Cover Band Central Wisdom Hour, number 24. We are back, baby. I'm Steve Witchell. <laughs> Return of the Wisdom Hour, baby. <laughs> Tony B coming to you live. What's up, brother? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. And Happy New Year to all the Wisdom Hour recipients as well. <laughs> the recipients. Yes, it's soon to be Happy Valentine's Day as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a little late to be saying Happy New Year, I guess, but... Yeah, it's it's, it's it's middle of February, dude. Kind of missed that boat, yeah. but but we we uh, took an extended time off, um, mostly the, because of me. Tour, yeah, both of us on tour. <laughs> tour. <laughs> Actually, the good last to back, good to be back. The the last wisdom <laughs> I hear the ice. The last wisdom arrow was um, I did with Brian Tishy, and it was uh, almost two months ago to the day. It was on the twelfth of December. And I did that. It was the first time I did. It wasn't a wisdom hour, really. It was, it was a it was a podcast, but I had to do yes. it without you because we couldn't coordinate our schedules properly. Yes, correct. I remember the day too. We were trying to re, re, um, move the date, but Tishy was promoting his Christmas album, and he wanted to get it out yes, ASAP. Exactly. So, um, so for the holidays, we took time off, and then um, I was dealing with some really difficult um, stuff in my living situation in my apartment complex uh, had issues with cable um, had issues with uh, internet had issues with running water <laughs> fire bomber sometimes and there was a fire yeah there was uh, the building next to me about I want to say a month ago now burned down um, not completely to the ground, but it was a really massive fire, and and I was there. I saw it, and then was it a disco inferno? <sighs> no, <laughs> there was no disco dancing going on. Um, was so funky running in and out, pulling kids out the ground. No, it was pretty uh, pretty bad. No, man. Why is this not refreshing? Um, Did you know what that's from? What? The Funky Claude running in and out, pulling kids out the ground. No. Smoke on the water. Oh, of course. Silly Come man. on, man. Badunks. I don't really know the lyrics to that, except for the chorus. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard one to remember, too. <laughs> I, I Or um, he talked... Because that was, that was inspired by an actual event, that song. Um, yes, Frank Zappa and the Mothers had a mobile recording unit right. in Montreux, Switzerland, and uh, Deeper ended up recording there because their hotel that they stayed at had burned to the ground. So funny thing about Smoke on the Water, I played that song, I did, um, a couple weeks ago, I did a, a sub gig for uh, three nights with uh, my, my friends in a band called Rockbox here in New Orleans. They play on Bourbon Street every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, one of my favorite bands on the street, they play the kind of music that I dig, you know, rock, classic rock, and leaning more towards the heavier stuff, you know, like Rush, and, and we did, we did uh, Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who, um, and, uh, you know, Van Halen, some, you know, just good Motley Crue, cool rock stuff that I, I dig, and they're all, like, long-haired dudes like me, um, and we played Smoke on the Water, and uh, the guitar player, see, I came in, with the the um, just the root part with the dun 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 and and then he he changes 
you know, that's that's how it starts. Roger Glover, bass player, Deep Purple, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and then you know, um, the guitar player Richie Blackmore does the riff, dun, 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 dun. and um, I the way I learned this song. I, I don't know why, but the way I learned the song was when he goes through that riff, the G, B flat, C, um, I was staying, uh, like the end part of it, that then, uh, from the, the C to B flat to the G, people who don't play guitar are like, drummers are listening now, not your, yourself not included, but drummers are listening now saying like, why are you talking about chords, dude? I don't know chords. Um, but anyway, <laughs> when he would do that change, I would stay on the route at, until the song kicked in, and then I would do the do the riff with him, and that's the way I learned it. And I was like so sure that that was the right way to do it, and then and the guitar player looked at me, he's like, "No, no, you got to change there." And I was like, "No, the original version, he stays on the route." So I was like, <laughs> <You're> "Mistaken." <laughs> so so yeah, so I was like, "You know what? I should probably go back and listen to this and see if it's if, if he was right or I was right." And it turns out he was right. Um, it does change to the C with with the guitar, and I'm like, yep. "Damn, man, I've been playing this wrong for so long," <laughs> and no one's really paid attention. And, and not only played it wrong, but to your attention, but insisting that I was right too. Just like, no, that's the way it goes. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> you should go back and listen to how they learn the song. Right, but I okay. see. I did the responsible thing, and I went back and I listened, and. And I admit my error. So, Vince, if you're listening, sorry, buddy. Yes, and wisdom hour lesson number one for this evening, make sure you know the song. Make sure you know the song before you say to somebody, uh, I know but this the is detail, how it goes. The details of the song, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to play it, really own it, you know? Like, there's so many, like, um, you know, Sweet Child of Mine, for as an example, that a lot of bass players don't play correctly. Because they miss all the hooks and the little riffs that he's doing in there and the little runs, you know? It's not just the same thing over and over again. He does specific yes, that's little true. isms each time, you know what I mean? As a drummer, I pick up on that. So if I'm playing it and someone's not picking that up, it's a big bummer. That's true. At Sweet Child of Mine, I'm pretty damn close on it because I've that's a song that I went back, I've gone back to to, to learn it right because I play it so much. And you're right, there's... there's the that sort of pick up doom bet but then I will do the with the drummer but he or he'll go do 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 and the second time he'll go do 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 you know like he runs up down and then back up to the note again and I don't know as a drummer I notice things like that because that's part of the rhythm section you know and you hear all those little isms and when the guys don't pay attention to detail and nail that kind of stuff it's it takes away from the from the moment yeah, and not only uh, not only does he do that rhythmically with the drummer, but he he switches up the way he does the notes each time. So yes. so I'm you know I'm pretty good on on that one. I, there's I take certain liberties with Sweet Child of Mine because I play it so much. So I but but the certain signature stuff I stick to it. I'm right on top of it always right. with that song, and I have to be. I mean, I've played that song, man. I couldn't even put That's a number a on it. That's complacency that you, you find playing covers. Like, you wouldn't do that to a Rush song, you know what I mean? Right. You have to learn the part, you know? And if you didn't, it would be quite evident that you you hadn't. <laughs> Are you saying you have more respect for Rush than you do for Guns N' Roses? No, I'm saying that if, as musicians, regardless of what genre you're playing, if you had to play a Rush song, you would have to learn it in great detail. So you should apply that 
same learning in great detail to every song. You know, even if it sounds like the most simple thing, you listen, there's little nuances in there that the artist, you know, whether it be whatever instrument they're playing, that adds a subtle, you know, personality to the song. And that becomes when everyone's personality makes the band and makes the version of the song because no one's going to be able to play the, you know, the instrument exactly like the, the artist that's recording the song. You can emulate it, right? But the guy who's playing it with the emotion and the support that he made up and wrote and felt and created, it's got a whole different vibe to it. So if you really listen to covers, you can pick that out and take that that passion and that exuberance of the create creative element of the moment of you know the artist that owns it. Right. That's what makes that's what makes separates you know good to great. Yeah, I, I think a way to say that, too, is, is capturing the spirit of whatever that original artist was saying with their instrument. Capture, capture that spirit. I mean, obviously, you want to stick to notes and stick to signature parts, but definitely want to capture that feel, that spirit, for sure. Yeah. Cool. And, and, and I find, and we probably talked about this before, but I find that, that a way for me to easily do that is to really remember... What, how much I love the song or the artist and try to have that respect for that. And, <clears throat> I, it, you know, it's... I've said this before, too, but I've I've played, like, for the swamp, at the Swamp, for instance, I've played there now nearly four years and mostly with the same lineup, same drummer, same guitar players, some different singers here and there. Um, but we've played mostly a lot or a lot of the same songs for the last four years. So, I mean, for a lot of people that play regularly, that can just get old and tiresome and stuff. But it, for me, it's always brand new because uh, there's always some little different nuance variation in, in what's going on in life, in the room, on the stage, you know, uh, um, and the song becomes brand new again, and and I still love it. You know, even Sweet Child, uh, which I, you know, I've I've probably played that song a thousand times at least, at least a thousand. Uh, you know, it's because I've played at least a thousand gigs in New Orleans, and I've played that pretty much every time. Oh, yeah, not to mention all the other times you've played it. <laughs> yeah, not to mention, yeah. and sometimes we play it twice in a night. We've played it three times in a night. So I, I I'm gonna go with. Yeah, somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 times I've played that song. And probably never once the same exact way. And, and do you know what's crazy? I read this book, Outliers, by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. But it's all about success and, and how it ties into you know all these different things uh, from when you were born to the time you were born to the time in history when you were born to the opportunities that you had to the, your heritage of how uh, you know your ancestors, where they lived and certain traits that were ingrained into them that were then passed down genetically through, you know, years and years of the same routines and same principles. And long story short, they were saying there's a 10,000 hour rule where I've heard that. Yes. Yes. Expert in their field, you know, or expert at their instrument has played 10,000 hours, you know, minimum. Yes. And they talked about the Beatles going to Hamburg, Germany, uh, before they became, you know, big in the States and before they like broke out, so to speak. And they were, they were a good band, you know, but they went to Hamburg, Germany to play these like festivals and these bar gigs. And they ended up, it was like seven days a week, 12 hours a day, uh, sometimes 16 hours a day of playing and performing for years. Right. 
And they said, you know, the amount of time that they spent together performing and playing and experimenting and interacting and hanging out with each other and, you know, 10, 20,000 hours. Then when they came out to the world, they weren't like just coming out of the garage. You know what I mean? They were polished. They were already, you know, had been playing together for years and, you know, thousands of gigs. That's cool, man. I got to read that book. You're not the first person to tell me about that, too. That there was, I did a gig probably about five years ago. I, I went on tour a few uh, times with this guy, Jared Fink, who, who you know. Um, uh-huh. And uh, Jared actually wrote the, uh, wrote, recorded, and performed the, wrote, wrote, performed, and recorded the, was Marrow Theme that we play that's yes. that's jared um and i i was doing a gig it was really fun it was in south carolina right on like the ocean and it was a like a three-day thing it was all original stuff all original artists um sort of indie it was a management company through the through the bash and a lot of people a lot of great bands tony luca was one of them he was on a on the voice season three i think he came in like second or third place um and uh, but anyway, there was a guy I met there who was a drummer, and he told me that about what you just told me about the ten thousand hour thing. And he was, and I told him what I was doing in New Orleans, and he was trying to actually do the math. He's like, oh, well, "All right, you've done this many, and blah blah blah." And this was like four or five years ago. So I think at this point, I've definitely hit ten thousand hours. I think yeah. it's safe to say because right. I, I play three or four hours a night, you know, and I've played well over a thousand gigs. I mean, so that's only five thousand. I don't know, dude. I, it's, it's long. It's a long time, dude. It's a lot <laughs> it's a of time. So what does that mean, though? Hours, I mean, you know, what, it's a lot of time. But what does that really mean? Once you get to that point, what does that? What is well? That it means mean? that by the time you're you're proficient, you know, and an expert at whatever it is that you've been doing, w- w- sh- because it would t- you know because ten thousand hours is such a long time to achieve. Like whether it was, you know. Um, like Bill Gates might have been one guy in the book where, you know, he just was always in the computer lab and writing code and figured out how to decode the payment program so he can get free time on the computer. And then just happened to be that the school he went to had access to the only million dollar mainframe computer in the world at the time. And he was able to get on access to server. So he had like access to this super technology that no one else had. And he was like way ahead of his time and just his like, living in the lab and always living in the code and doing everything with the computers that by the time the evolution of the computer, you know, was, he was part of it. You know, he was, he was driving it because he had the knowledge of all the systems and the exposure and the time with it to then figure it all out, you know, no different than, uh, there's a great interview on YouTube with Vinnie Caliuta, uh, and Dom Famularo interviews him and, he basically goes through like all his different steps of his career and how he got to where he is and how proficient he is. And when you look at the volume of years of time of gigs that he's played, you know, it's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours. Right. And then you right. look at how great of a musician he is and how adaptable he is to any situation. And he, and he explains like how he got there. It was, and any guy, even like, you know, from the drumming world, like Virgil Donati, we used to practice, uh, you know, it was like 80 hours a week was his practice regime, 70, 80 hours a week for, right. for years. Wow. You know, and, and, you know, on top of gigging, 
Like that was, you know, right. I can remember being at a NAMM show and we were hanging out with him and he was, you know, uh, at one time he had performed and then he was up in his hotel room with like a mini practice kit, like pad kit, like, you know, shedding like before dinner, like, you know, after dinner, he would add like a, a, a very, uh, regimented and disciplined, you know, practice regime. And, you know, it just became, you know, it's evident when you see him play any of these guys that are at the top, top of their game, you know, they just have been playing and doing it for so long. It's, it's that familiarity with it, you know, and, and just the experience of doing it, you know, for real. Right. Yeah. That's great, man. I, I mean, I, that's something where that's a, place where i've been slacking really is practicing when i'm not playing because i've been playing so much you know uh, for most of the time i've been here i've been playing like five nights a week and that is sort of practice in itself you know just going out and playing for four hours or five hours or whatever it was there, there were gigs where i was playing eight sets regularly so that was like a six hour gig um but you know i th- the last thing i wanted to do was come home and play my bass um, but sure. but now, and especially being in a new place here where I have a lot of space, you know, I have this little sort of mini studio set up now here with two computers and the mixer for the... Yeah, you got the derailed earlier with my Disco Inferno. You were saying how your old place, you know, the building caught fire next door and burned down. Yeah. And I wasn't making light of it. It was just a good opportunity, <laughs> you know, for Yeah, disco. we went into the deep purple thing. Um, yeah, um, yeah my, my other apartment was very small. It was in a, a really terrible location. It was just a bad vibe there. It was, it was really depressing me. Um, and I got this new place last week. Um, it's pretty close to where I was living and much, much nicer. That There's a guard, security guard. You need a pass to get in. You need to slide your card in, uh, gated, and... Um, the, uh, the the landscape is beautiful. The, there's a big pool. There's this um, uh, waterway right behind me with a levee. And there's so much room to walk the dog and, and just go out in, in nature. There's a nice big pool. There's there's a couple dog parks, too. And, uh, and the apartment itself is a two-bedroom with a huge living room. Um, and it's got another room that they call the bonus room, which is... Like it used to be a bedroom, but now it does, it doesn't have a door, and it's got this big opening towards the living room, so it's really cool. Um, it's very echoey though. There's no carpet in there, so I got to come up with some soundproofing uh, stuff, hang some remnants on the wall or something. Um, mm. But yeah, so I have a lot of space now, and and it's it just gives me so much freedom. It feels like to do this, what we're doing, we're you know back doing this, and to just set up my bass, set up my amp, play. I have my keyboard set up. I have a guitar set up and I can just play. So, um, I need to make a point of that, of practicing more because right now I'm only playing three nights a week. Um, doing sub work sometimes on the weekend, but regularly is just three nights. So that gives me four nights to get other stuff done. Yeah. And you know, uh, one of my, uh, great teachers in my life had said to me, you know, practice is not sitting down and playing things and having fun. Practice is working on things that you don't know how to do or you want right. to get better at. Right. Or learning, you know, it's fun for me to learn songs. If I hear a song and I like it, I'm like, I want to learn that song. And that never ends, man. That's been like that yeah, since but that's the something you didn't know how to do, right? So that falls into practice. Right. 
Right, exactly. And and you'll that's exactly. It's not going through songs that you already know how to play or just, you know, noodling around or just jamming out to have fun. That that's all well and good, but practice is like an actual discipline routine where Right. Or, you know, like I said, you're working on something, um, you know, no different than um like you were saying earlier about you know, you play the song so many times and then when practice time comes, it's like I used to, I played golf with a guy one time and he said, you know, you can, if you want to get better, you have to practice two days a week. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you might be golfing, you know, three or four days a week. He said, when you're playing golf, you're not practicing. You need to separate it and have a day where you just practice golf. Right. And I thought if I really wanted to get great at golf and I could afford to, you know, join the country club and practice one of those days out of the week i would certainly do that but i don't have that uh luxury right now right yeah you know the the way i have though always approach practice is you know i'll sit down with my bass and just put my headphones on i I like to do it in my headphones put it through something else and play along with a song all in my headphones and try to get a good mix of as if i am playing bass on the recorded version um but the way I would do it normally is just kind of play through it. And I wrote an article about this, too, uh, about uh, good steps to learning songs. And I would always play through it first, just like run the track and play through it without stopping and just just try to figure it out as I'm going along. And a lot of times, because I've done this for so many years, a lot of times I can, if it's a song that I've heard before, I can I can get it in one run through, like the first run through, I can get it. Um, but either way, I like to run through the whole track and then, then, okay, then let's start at the beginning and break down each part, break down the intro, break down the verse, the bridge, chorus, whatever. And, and then go, just go through it all like over and over and over again until not until I get it right, but until I I can't get it wrong. And, and then, then always like, I'll go up through the track and then start at the beginning again and then go through further in the track and then start at the beginning again and then just keep doing it that way so it's like so ingrained in me that by the time I play it live I don't have to think about it anymore and not to play it right but so that I'm not playing it wrong anymore right I mean that that's a quote too it's like uh, I've heard that before about <laughs> sports, sports like uh, like uh, uh, what is it like a uh, uh, I'm not going to word this right, but amateurs um, play it till they get it right. Professionals play play it till they can't get it wrong. So something like that. So, something like that. It wasn't amateurs. There was a different term for that. I'm sure somebody could Google that quote. And by the way, I, and I neglected to say hello to people that are listening. Alec, my right hand man in Cover Band Central Group, is oh, listening, yeah. and Dave Newton is also listening. Dave is a frequent contributor in the group, and also Kimberly Mueller who I appointed during this R break, I appointed her as uh, an, a moderator in the group. So she and Alec are both um, doing some moderating. Uh, you know, Alec is just gangbusters with it every day. Um, and Kimberly's doing a great job as well. Um, but they are listening. At least they were. Welcome. Welcome. Wisdom Island. And I don't know where we were numbers-wise the last time we spoke, but the group is now at 32,000. It will be 33,000 probably by tomorrow. It's it's averaging 1,000 new people a week, 
in this thing. Yeah. Which is crazy because I belong to other groups, you know, music related groups, a lot of them. And I go and I see them on my newsfeed and I go to them, you know, and check out what's going on. And there's not that kind of growth rate on anything I've seen. You know why that is, Steve? No. Because they don't have wisdom hour. <laughs> it might be, dude. Amongst many other things. It might be because I tell you what, people have said that, where's the podcast? What are you guys doing? What's going on? And I had a guy to email me. He said, dude, I love the podcast. I just started binging from the beginning and I'm up to 17 and you guys are great. And like that blows my mind that we have this library now of stuff that people are going back and listening to and gaining something from. So kudos. That's huge. I mean, that's, that's kudos to us. Wow. No. And that's what I'm saying, like the dedication you put into the whole cover band central, uh, you know, endeavor and, and all the effort and the, all the things that you, you do for it and the wisdom hour as a podcast, you know, in addition to the many other podcasts and, you know, informational things that you do, it's, you know, it's constantly evolving and it's updated and it's current, you know, it's not just stale and someone has it up. Like I said, it's a group, it's interactive, people are in it They're, you know, it, it's what it, we, you know, get it hoped for with the information and especially with Wisdom Hour, you know, with what we tried to accomplish here of just giving, lending knowledge and, and, and talking about topics of things that are important and then trying to inspire others and, you know, some things you don't think about. You know, you say, well, I, like you said, I, I play drums, you know, or I play my guitar, you know, 15 hours a week and I learn songs and I do this and that, but that's not, you know, maybe someone looks at it and says that's a different way of looking at practice. Right. So I'm going to start to either seek out a teacher, you know, to help me get through some things or go on YouTube and, and look at some different things that I normally wouldn't, you know, be able to, to play or have an interest in playing or capability of playing or different routines to gain speed or technique. I mean, there's so much information out there. Yeah. Right. It's at, at yeah. free. Right. I mean, it's, it's endless. Yeah. I, I mean, you have to really have that motivation and drive to want to always get better. And, and I know you do and I do too. And a lot of people out there do, but I, you know, I am hard on myself too. If I'm not uh, I can. I know I can always be better. I know I could always learn something better or do more work, and that will never end. And <laughs> it's it's a torch. It, you know, it's a curse and a blessing, I suppose. Absolutely, but you know, it's also you know, um, you know, to the same standard. You you know, you hold yourself to that high of a standard, right? Where you always think, uh, yeah. you know, I always be better in this. Yeah. But then it also reaches a point where you say, you know, I've been diligent and disciplined with this for thirty years. You know, or more. 35 for me, yeah. You know? I mean, I've been playing drums for 46 years. Damn, that, son. Right? I didn't even realize you were that old. <laughs> well, I'm 50. Well, just start when you were in the embryo? Yeah, my dad started me when I was like four years old. And then by six, I was playing. And then I was on the kit and I was going to gigs with him. And it was like, you know, all my young years of that, like eight, 10, 12 years old, like by that time I had already played gigs, I was reading, I was taking lessons, you know, like I had, I was fortunate to get, you know, put into it at, at that young and early of an age, but I always had good discipline to practice. And like you said, a desire to, you know, go home and after school, you know, to work on playing drums, you know, and when you look back and you say, you know, you don't think of it at the time, but you know, 35, 40 years later when you've been playing that much, you know, you reach a level of proficiency where, you know, you, yeah, if you yeah. choose to teach or you did teach or, you know, you, your knowledge base and what you play is so much different than it was 20 years ago. 
yeah. you know, because yeah. of just life, right? Experience, how it affects your um, emotion, how you approach your playing, and just your knowledge, and then the evolution as an artist that you become, you know? And it's, it's just so interesting to look back and, and see, you know, like you said, the evolution of, you know, from when you're a teenager playing to when you're in your 20s to you're pl- in playing yeah. to when you're in your 40s and you're playing and then beyond, you know? It's cool that and, you say that, man, because I, I seldom think of that for myself. You know, I, I'm just, I'm always kind of like, this is where I am, this is what I'm doing now. And, you know, when I'm playing, I'm just thinking about, you know, okay, I'm playing this song now. And then, but every once in a while, somebody will give me a compliment or be watching me or whatever and just give me a thumbs up. And, and then I I see it from a different perspective, like, oh, wow, okay, I am I am pretty good at this and I, I've been doing it a long time. But so with my new apartment here, I have this room, which I've designated the music room and this is where i am now i'm sitting here i created this little sort of mini studio for the podcast and i got my keyboard in here my amp in here uh my studio lights in here for when i do the live stuff on on cbc and then i started putting pictures on the wall of stuff i already had like in frames and stuff that i was just sitting in a box and i cleaned them up and i started putting them on the wall of bands i would i've been in of really cool pictures of, of bands that i've been in whether it's on stage or like a, a, a studio shot and really kind of trying to focus on the celebration of where I've come from and, and all the stuff I've experienced along the way. So I, I just really started doing it with this room, but I want to make this room kind of have that, that whole show, that whole evolution here in pictures in, in front of me so I can really celebrate it for myself. Cause I, I seldom do that. And that's something I should do. Everybody should do really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Kimberly Sheepack says hello, is listening. She said hi, y'all. What up? Yes. Um, so um, so what have you been doing? Have you been playing? What's what's going on? Yeah, we, we opted not to play New Year's, which was nice for change. You know, we had a couple opportunities, but collectively we all, you know, decided not to play. Just have off and be home, you know, or to go out and do things. And, you know, because I've played New Year's many times, even when I was young, you know. But, you know, uh, if it's a gig that I'm out, then, you know, Karen stays home. And she's home by herself or she goes to a party, you know, if neighbor's having a party or something by herself. So it's nice to be home for New Year's and, and spend that time with her, you know. Sure. Um, and then we had a couple of private parties and uh, we're starting to play a couple of happy hour. Uh, I'm doing one March, March 8th. It's a Thursday and we're going to do like an industry uh, type of happy hour. So my whole company will be invited and then all the people in the band, you know, will invite their companies to come and uh, put the email blast out to all people I know that are local that would go. So, you know, I think we can get, you know, a hundred people out at happy hour, which would be, uh, you know, a real fun uh, gig to, to play on a Thursday night. You know, we do it like uh, five to eight or five to nine type of scenario, or you know, be there by five setup and then start. You know, between five thirty and six. Right. So that'll be fun, and then we're gonna book you know a couple of gigs just uh, in between the private stuff. Just to, we're gonna you know commit to playing uh, once or twice a month. Wow, that's I mean that's compared to a lot of people in the group. That's very late. You know, there's a lot of people that at work or um, work a lot more. But you guys are, you know, you guys have been together for so long and you all have 
regular jobs and families and everything. Well, so. we, yeah, and, and you know, we used to play, you know, every weekend, if not twice in a weekend, back to back every weekend. You know, so right. we were playing four, six, eight times a month. How, sometimes. How long know? has that band been? Going back to outskirts, how long has that band been together? Would you say? I've been playing with them. Um, 15, 18 years, something like yeah, I was that. Gonna, I was going to say around 15 because I, I played with you. You know, I've been in New Orleans almost eight years. I've Jimmy, been... you know, it's funny. Jimmy can tell you the date that we got together the first time to rehearse. Like he'll be like, oh, it was June 17th, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he just, he has this uncanny ability where I can say, hey, remember we played um, that place Liberty Tavern in uh, you know, in wherever Linden, New Jersey, and he'll be like, "Yeah, March seventeenth, uh, you know, two thousand four, like a Friday." Like he just he he's, has this unbelievable ability where he can tell you a date to anything you ask him, band related. When did Shuli join the band? August twelfth, blah blah blah. This date. Kel right. joined on this date. Witchell joined with that date. We played Orange Lantern back in nineteen ninety seven on this date. Like it was just unbelievable. But I'm saying, yeah, fifteen. To 18 years because my oldest son is 20 he'll be 21 this year and it was he was very young like when i joined up with them because joe bergamini you know steve's brother was playing in the band and then he and i were teaching together at richie's music center and then he i remember the day he got me uh the gig at richie's music center when you know he introduced me to, to jim riccio that was 21 years ago because my son had just been born Huh. Wow. So yeah, out since outskirts days, it's yeah, it's it's fifteen plus. For See, sure. when, I mean, for people out there that haven't had that experience of playing with somebody for that long, I mean, I even haven't had that experience. You just get to a whole other level. There, there was a conversation. I think it was last week. Somebody was talking about um, that sort of topic uh, of rehearsing. Somebody brought up about how often do you rehearse? And I said, you know, I responded in it and I said, we never rehearse. And he was like, what? You never, like, how can that be? And then other people sort of jumped in and said, well, you know what? He plays five nights a week with the same band. So, uh, um, you know, and that's the thing is like, I, I know you guys rehearse to go over new material and, and stuff like that. But you, you get to this level where you know each other so well uh, you know, I mean, it's even be beyond being able to communicate musically, which, which comes after that really comes after a few years where you're, you're very good at that. But then you just get to this other. I mean, do you find that to be true or like explain to me the level that that has brought you to, which I haven't even really experienced? So my first band that I play with original band, Eye of the Storm, 1988, 89. You know, we got together and <clears throat> for 15 years plus, I mean, we played consistently. You know, we gigged a ton. We rehearsed a ton. We wrote three albums of material, four albums with B-side stuff, you know, and probably 100 hours of rehearsal tapes, you know, of jams and things we, we'd never, you know, got to. And it was the same lineup, the same original guys for you know to this day still but 1989 
you know, to present, you know, we were, were, were banned, but we played for 15 years straight. And then we took time off and did an alter ego band with the same lineup and did all covers called uh, Mr. Personality. And we did like, uh, all heavy stuff. We had a sequencer. We played like Tool, Nine Inch Nails, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, James Addiction, you know, Nirvana, Chemical Brothers, like Gravity Kills, Filter, STP, Foo Fighters, Marilyn Manson, all stuff like that, just to take a break. But it was still <laughs> the same guys, you know what I mean? In right. the same band, in the same lineup, and we played almost every weekend. So we had played well over 100 shows, uh, you know, even like before the 10 year mark, because for a while we played a lot and all original, you know, I mean, everywhere, you name it, you know, we had played it, but it became like a machine and you took it for granted that we were playing this complex, you know, we were doing, you know, stuff to sequencer, uh, like nine inch nails stuff where we would write the seat, you know, we would lift the parts off of the tape and in sections and put them in the sequencer and then play live to a click and I you know I had in ears at the time and that was you know 20 that was like 1994 95 um you know, that's a long time ago and we had in ear setups and we were already way ahead of our time I remember being at the NAM show trying to buy in ear monitors like real ones and like nobody made them yet it wasn't even like out you know and we and we made our own right. uh with with my friend Mike Brennan, he bought components and we we made our own in ears, you know, just for that purpose, so I could play along to a click with the sequencer, and no one would know that we were, you know, I didn't have headphones on like cans. Right. But to your point, it became like a machine where I knew what the, what Tom the bass player was playing, I knew what Craig the guitar player was playing. There was parts where we recorded stuff and he was soloing, and I was catching things with him that he didn't even know he was gonna do. You know, but I anticipated it as at the same time, like magic, like so many magical moments, right? From creating and playing. That's definitely a 10,000 hour yeah. band. That's I mean, that's those that's, guys well beyond 10,000 hours. That's the word, too, that I was probably looking for is magic. That That's when you start to create magic in a band. And I've definitely experienced oh, yeah. that and felt yeah. it. And even with people that I haven't played with um that much I, I mean i experienced it with you certainly many times where we just we were just right on the same page and just created this magic yeah. in the moment and um and that's a that's why i do this man because that that feeling is like no other feeling you can ever experience in the world playing music that the, the energy of the volume and just that spontaneous moment that happens without thought when you're not thinking because when you stop thinking that's when magic comes into your life really in in many aspects of life but definitely playing music and it's so it's so magical because you're you're experiencing it with other people at the same time and it just lifts that energy level up beyond anything you can really even describe i mean i, I don't know yeah, and you know we were making magic all the time, like more often than not, right? Because right. once you get to that level, it's all the time. Things are happening, and it's just it's, you take it for granted, you know. And then same thing, you know, with with Weisenheimers, which was outskirts, which was you know big radio before that, and it's you know did many iterations. But when it was outskirts, um, when I first joined, you know, it was so it was Steve and, and Jimmy. Are the you know keyboard and, and and guitar are the original original guys then. You know, I came in and replaced Joe, and since then there's been you know different bass players in the band, different sing, you know, different people. Uh, but it's always been those three. So 
I think the same, you know, I've played with, with Steve and Jimmy for over 15 years, you know? Right. And, and it just, it's very comfortable and, you know, you take it for granted again, like you said, it's just that, you know, we play so well together. And like you said, it's, it's been so long. I, there's not a lot of that, like, uh, you know, you're not creating the, the, on the spot, so to speak, like original stuff, but the magic still happens. And then, you know, with Shuli and Kel, they've been in the band, you know, I gotta say it's been the same lineup for eight years. I'm going to say at, at least eight years, because before I moved, that was your lineup and I've been here almost eight years. So I'm going to say at least nine, yeah, eight, nine, years. Eight, eight, eight or nine years. Cause yeah, I mean, so I played with you early on in in the the uh, evolution of this this uh, experience that you have going back to outskirts. It's a, it's called the Weisenheimers now. It used to be the uh, outskirts, and that's when I was in the band. And I was in I don't know, how long was I in the band? A year ish. Yeah, a year, you know, year and a half, maybe something like that. Um, and it was soon. It, it it was it was around within a year before I moved here that you got Kel I think because he was relatively yeah. new in the band when I when I moved yeah because you know not to get too long on the history of the Weisenheimers um, <laughs> dot com but I can just remember <laughs> like you know not to lose sight of the point you were making was that when you play with the same people for a good amount of time you know it becomes very comfortable you know what each other's gonna do. Um, it, it's just, it, it feels good and everyone's relaxed and comfortable. And then, like you said, it's creative and you can stretch and, yeah. you know, you're, you're comfortable to make the magic. And I remember every time like someone would leave, like at one point we had like rotating bass, like a guy would stay in the band for six months to a year and then the bass player would leave and then another bass player would come and then he would leave and another guy would come and he would leave. And it was less like one after the other. I remember always being like. Oh, it just got to the point where it was like we're starting to make the magic. Like, you know, it was like getting comfortable. Not magical yet, but it was, you know, it was it was comfortable and then it's disrupted again. And then you're gonna get another guy in the band. And sometimes it clicked right away. You know, like I remember when you the first time we played, you know, we you and I clicked right away. Yes, right away. Instantly. And uh it was a great gig and then you stayed in the band, we actually joined the band and then uh, you know, for that year and a half it was awesome. And then when you left then uh I don't remember if you were before or after. Was Kelly in the band when you were in the band? No. There was no female singer when I was in the band. Okay, so then after you, right, then that was uh, Tony Pacone, and then Kelly joined the band, and that was a whole different dynamic. And then that got to a level where it was like a machine, you know what I mean? Kelly was great, and Anthony was great, and the rhythm section was tight, and it was pumping, and it was really good. And then Anthony had to leave the band. You know what I mean? And then he was going. But, but even before that, you know, uh, I had my friend Zach, who's on tour with Kansas, you know, guitar player, Zach Rizvi. And, he, you know, he was an engineer. He had his own studio. And we recorded a lot there. And, you know, a real close friend of mine, good, good, real good people. And uh, I remember talking and saying, like, hey, you want to – can you sub? And, you know, and he, he's like a proficient drummer, bass player, guitar player, keyboard player. Like, he's one of those guys. You know, he can just – he can play every instrument. And he's like, oh, you know, he's like, I, I need a gig. I'll play bass in the band. And I was like, cool. And then he, he joined the band and he played bass in the band for like two years. And it was <laughs> it was fucking slamming. You know, like he and I got to a great place where the band was, again, like cranking. You know, it was pumping on all cylinders. Right. And then when he left and it was a new guy, I think then you came, you know, or no, this guy Lou came in 
And, you know, we auditioned guys and it was just such a drag, you know, but we've met so many characters, just so many guys. I remember we were doing the auditions and then, you know, it just got great again. And then Kelly left, you know, Kelly was leaving the band and then we had the, you know, then Shuli came on and, and then, you know, it's been Shuli ever since right. with, with Kel. So you're right. Eight or nine years has been the same people, but to not lose sight of the original point you were making when you've played with people for that long of a time. It's it just becomes so, uh, you know, because you're not just, you know, even though you're not hanging out with those people on a regular basis, right? Like in your band, like we're not seeing each other on the weekend if we're not playing and we're not, you know, I each other's house having picnics and shit. But when we're at the gig, you know, it's it's like we just played yesterday. And that's the like that's the magic right. of it from, you know, in addition to making the magic. But it's like an old friend you haven't seen. You know, right. when you see him again, you pick right up where you left off. Right. So if we don't play for a month, it's like we just played last night. Right. And see, I've sort of experienced the same thing as you in a, just more of a condensed time version because I've been playing with the same bands, you know, for three nights a week or for four nights a week or five nights a week for years, you know, so it rather than it's just, you know, twice, you know, on the weekend or whatever, um, it's been a lot more gigs i guess in a condensed time so so i've sort of experienced the same thing because like you said yeah. it when you're saying it's like like you played yesterday for me it's like we did play yesterday <laughs> and then <laughs> and then the next day it's yeah we did play yesterday um and it's it's so it's it becomes so routine in a way um, especially with songs it, it, that, that's the only thing about here that i would like to see uh improve is is learning more songs more often and so there's a couple bands on on the street that do that but for the most part people will stick to what works and not bring in a lot of new, bring a lot of new uh material in but i i would i like that i like because because it just kind of freshens up everything when you bring a new song and it changes the dynamic of of a lot of stuff so but but we have that we you know i i would venture to guess that we create some sort of magic every night um, and it's always different, something different. And that's, I, I'm so lucky, man. I, I just feel so grateful to, to have gotten this opportunity here. And I think that's what kind of inspired me to start the whole cover band central thing was like, I, I know it was cause I was like, I, I wanted to, you know, dude, I wanted to do this for so long, um, to find a way to make a living playing music. And I was really passionate about it. And and then I did it. And once I did it, I felt like th there's got to be other people out there that feel the same way as me. There's got to be thousands of people out there that feel the same way as me that would love to have this opportunity. And I wanted to get out there and say, guess what? It's possible. You can do it. Um, and here are the things that I did to make it happen. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm inspired. I want to inspire other people, too, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? You know, that's just one example of, you know, like we got off the original topic of practice, right? So you're, you're practicing and you're putting in that time over years after year after year and it becomes, you know, you become that much better and familiar with it. And like you said, that even the 10,000 hour rule, it, you know, it doesn't need to be, it could be stretched out over 10 years, you know, but it could also be condensed, like to your point, you know, right. in the time you've been there and played with people. Yeah. But, you know, the years you've been there, um, but it's that consistency and it becomes, you know, it's something you just want to be present to and not take, 
you know, like to your point, we always think we could be better, but you have to take a minute and acknowledge the level that you have achieved, you know, and where you are at. Right. That's, uh, that's hard for me, man. It's it, you know, like, I, it's hard for, I, it, when I was young, I was fine with that. I was, I was all bravado, but now it's like, yeah, you know, I just, I just feel more humble, like happy to do this and, and it's it's a fine line i guess to just appreciate how good you are and how far you've come to to being cocky or um whatever overconfident yeah it's it's not a cocky or overconfident but it's a it's an assuredness in it's a confidence in knowing that you you know you are proficient at a certain level right I feel you're that when then, I'm playing. But you're then able to contribute at that level. Not yeah. like, hey, look at me, how great I am because I've been playing for 30 years. Right. But, you know, you look at it and say, man, I'm so blessed and grateful to have been playing for 30 years. And I can take all this knowledge now and I can add such value to whoever I play with because I'm bringing a whole giant wheelbarrow full of things, you know, yeah. or a dump truck full of things with me that I've acquired over the course of my career of playing. And that's why, you know seasoned professionals you know command you know the salaries that they do because they're bringing with them a wealth of knowledge and experience you know right and it's it's, it's different than a, a, a younger and less um refined excitement you know like right. when you're young you always have those you know i can remember listening back to songs when like you said things are fresh and new and the band's brand new and you're like only two years in and you're just starting to click and you're young and you're in your 20s and you want to overplay and you know, it, it's there's something to be said for that as well. But then you listen to you know more mature recordings, and it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I feel that when I'm playing, you know, I feel the experience uh, that I have. I just feel it when I'm playing. But stepping off the stage, then I just feel like I'm just regular Joe. You know, I don't, I don't. So anytime anybody comes up and compliments me or, or thanks me or, or whatever, and it happens a lot at the Swamp where where people really enjoy the band and not just about me obviously but um i always feel very grateful and, and just humble humbled by that that's the thing i like about tishy too like and if if you guys listening to this haven't listened to that interview from december check it out he had a lot of cool stuff to say um but he's you know he's a very very talented guy and very experienced he played with so many high level bands uh foreigner ozzy slash uh, Billy Idol, so on, so on. Um, but he is just so humble, dude. He's he's like, and he's he has that attitude all the time by default of like he's always trying to get better, and he's always you know not as good as this person, and he's always and he work. But he like you were saying, you know, he really works on his craft. He picks things that he needs to to improve on and works on it, practices it. So um, and you know, it's great not to cut you off, but I like. Way back in the day, when Berkeley, you know, College of Music, when when Tishy was going there, I had friend Greg Gasparino and and another friend of mine, uh, Cato Conwala, who were both going there, you know, um, and we, I, I was up visiting, you know, we drove him up to college one year, and we were hanging out and I hung out for a week up there, you know, with those guys went out to see bands and hung out with guys, and you know, we're in Seven Eleven like real late one night, and 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 Brian, you know, Tishy was in there. And they were talking to him, and they're like, hey, man, what's going on? Like, we we were coming back from the bar, you know? Like, we were out drinking all night, and he was like, yeah, I've been shedding. And then years later, at Wild Mike's in Lodi, uh, when he was playing with Aluminum Jew. That was, right? I was in that band, yeah. 
Yeah, and I remember walking into there, and we had played there all the time, and it was, you know, whatever night it was, and you guys were on. And I remember my buddy Greg saying, oh, boy, are you in for a treat, man? It's fucking Brian Tishy on drums. And he was, like, just back from tour with somebody, and he, I think he was going back out on, uh, out on tour with Sass Jordan, maybe. or Sass uh, Jordan at the in, time, yeah, that's right. Or Vinny Moore. You know, it was right around that era when he was playing with those guys. And I remember him being like, oh, man, like, what a treat. You know, you're going to be in for a real treat. And then you guys played your set and stuff. And then when he came off, you know, we were we were talking with him and, and uh, you know, my my guys I knew were, were tight with him, you know, because they went to school together. But they said they used to always say that, that he was always practicing and always rehearsing and always shedding. He was in, you know, he was in the little drum booth they had at Berkeley. Right. Uh, you know, you just book the time and go in there and shed. Right. And he said that like he lived in there. You know, and so you can definitely yeah. attribute that, like you know. So that's crazy, dude. Great. So you were at Wild Mike's when I was playing, and I didn't know you back then, but you were there when I was playing with Brian. Yeah, correct. That's so funny because we used to play there. Brian either until so I introduced to him, and right? Then, you know, years later with George and and, and those guys running right, into him here and there, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, wow, that is crazy. Like that's something I never knew. Because um, we played there every Wednesday for uh, at least a year. And it was such a silly, stupid gig. Um, it was, you know, just this bar bar. And we, it was a fun place. Though, it was wow. fun. It was a little place, but it was it was, it was a little I is there all the time. We used to hang out with Mike, the owner, and we used to play there, same as you. Mike, like once yeah. a week we were in there and every other, you know, like once one Saturday a month we played. Wow. Mike, yeah. he And. I mean, we would play the coolest songs in that band. It was Jeff, my buddy Jeff uh, Steele, Zugale, um, was singing, and he and I did a record together. Jeff and I played in Little Sister together. We played forever. And this guy, Chris Durante on guitar, was a phenomenal guitar player, and me on bass and Brian on drums. And we played, like, What Isn't What Should Never Be. We played uh, Outshined. Yeah, we played. We played uh, like "Them Bones" by Alice in Chains and and "Damn That River" by Alice in Chains, Um, and this was '92 is when we were playing there, and that's when uh, the "Rage Against the Machine" album came out, and and before anybody knew what it was, the the DJ in that club, his name was Giorgio. He he yeah, Giorgio. Giorgio is this big dude. He's the one that named the band too, and he played the Rage album for us before anybody heard it and he was just like cranking in the bar all the time he's like you guys you guys got to play this song and it was killing the name and so we learned killing the name before anybody knew it and we were playing it there and we were one of the first bands to be playing that song so we were playing stuff like that Uh, we were playing uh like cool van halen songs we did like somebody get me a doctor and take your whiskey home um uh just like it was all like sort of deep cuts but cool songs that everybody dug and and with Brian on drums, man, I mean, it was just phenomenal. I wish I had some of that stuff on video. I actually have some stuff on audio that I recorded, um, and I played it for, and I wanted to say this, too. I don't know if you know Richie Muscola. Yeah. You know Richie? Um, he played in a band. Uh, um, the reason I, I, I'm segueing from this is because I played this cassette for Richie um, when I was living in Jersey, probably about 10 years ago, I was driving a car that only had a cassette player and I, I listened to this cassette and nice. then we were hanging out. It was in, in, uh, in uh, LBI. They played a place called Nardi's and I went down there and I was hanging out. And then afterwards where they had this, 
had this pad upstairs where where they hung out and where they got to sleep and it was just a party zone and i went and sat with richie and played this cassette and we both listened to it and we were just blown away by brian playing but richie he played in a band in new jersey called voices and then it was dog voices and they were one of the biggest cover bands in the The scene in the early 90s they 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 had lines out the door for people going to see them they were just relevant. They were all like good-looking guys in good shape, and they just put on a great show. They made it a party. And Richie, I've known since uh, I was a teenager. Um, but he, he, I was definitely inspired by him and that band to really get into the whole cover band scene back then. And that, that was the beginning of it. But the reason I'm telling you this is because Richie's going to be here in New Orleans on Saturday. He's playing a gig on Bourbon Street. It's a kind of a throwaway gig, and then he's going on a cruise and doing like a, a gig thing on a cruise that's sailing out of New Orleans. But he's going to be here Saturday, so I'm psyched that he's going to come, uh, probably get to jam with him and and hang out with a, a Jersey musician friend. So I'm Very. excited about that. Yeah. More people need to visit New Orleans. But I, you know what? I've seen so many people here that I've known over the course of my life that I would otherwise never see. But the fact that I'm living in new Orleans, I'm seeing them because it's such a tourist uh, destination for a lot of people. Oh yeah, for sure. Including yourself. Well, you didn't come here as a tourist. You came here for work related function. Yeah. I was in business, but uh, nonetheless, it was still a fun time. Yeah. You can't not have a fun time in new Orleans. No, it was great. Speaking of, it's Mardi Gras today, and I was very grateful to not have to be playing tonight. <laughs> it's it's a madhouse, dude. It's crazy. I was going to say, it'd be, it'd be fun to play tonight. You see all kinds of hijinks going I, on. I've, I have played on Fat Tuesday before, and it has been tremendously fun because you have just a jam-packed room and street and everything, and it's a long night, but you don't make any more money, for one. You probably make less money because you're not getting as much in the way of tips, because it's a, a tourist, the tourists don't tip as much, really. Um, young tourists, and you know, to get to the bathroom is a pain because there's so many people, and and just just really the 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 logistics of parking and things like that, all that stuff is it's a pain in the neck. So um, it's fun, but it's also nice to not have to deal with it. <laughs> I'm back to work tomorrow. I'm back again tomorrow night. So it's all good. Excellent. Yes. But, but right. tomorrow night will be still full Mardi Gras swing, it, right? Um, it, it'll be, well, much less, but it'll still be, there'll still be people out for sure. This is the biggest, this is the best time of year in New Orleans between like New Year's and 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 the end of May until Memorial Day, really, is because there's the French Quarter Fest. There's a lot of things that go on in town. A lot of people come here during this time of year. And uh, so we, we generally do pretty well. So I'm looking forward to it. five nights off, man. I had so I'm looking forward to being wow. back tomorrow. I had the whole weekend off. So, all right, my friend. Well, we uh, have completed our obligation of an hour. <laughs> wow, it went fast tonight, huh? Yeah, it did. But it's it's great to be back. And, and we now that I have a studio set up and my schedule is set pretty much right now, I think we can get back to a weekly thing, yeah? Cool. So Tuesday's yes. nights it will be. Tuesday's nights it will be. Um, 
anything you want to promote or plug oh i have to really talk about the the page a little bit or or the website a little bit which i didn't it is coming it's coming soon it's been kind of waiting on me jeff yonker chunk has has built the site and done an amazing job and he's really just waiting on me for content i have um now that i'm settled and moved i i will be putting uh a lot more time into that um it's just a matter of getting the store open the merch store open and getting a little bit of content on there and uh doing a test run and then we'll uh announce a launch date and then we'll be hit the ground running so that's what we're looking to do yeah cool yes and i i uh apologize for kind of slacking on this but uh buildings burning down next to me and no internet and things like that <laughs> yeah. Have 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 <laughs> hampered, there quick. Have hampered my progress, but you know I'm dedicated to this. So, all right, dude. Um, I have to uh, still need an engineer because I have to pull up the theme. Yeah, where's the help, man? Come on. I don't know. That's that's for a good show. <laughs> nice. All right. All right, Tony. Thanks, brother talking to you as always we'll be back next week current central was about currentcentral.com sign up It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.